Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Pastor Mark is away, and he is spending time with some family uh, for the holidays and gotten a chance to get away, so he gave me the opportunity uh, to preach this morning. And I was actually uh, speaking with uh, Pastor Daniel Silva in the uh, Spanish church this morning as well, and he's like, oh, you're preaching this morning. What are you, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, I'm going to be uh, teaching from uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And he said, no way. He said, that's what I'm preaching on this morning, too. And I said, well, I guess God is in it somehow in that way. And so it's just really a kind of a cool deal. We had no plans of that, but that's the same message that's happening in Crossroads and Espanol this morning, too. Uh, so I'm excited to, uh, to speak uh, this morning on just us walking worthy in the Lord. Napoleon Bonaparte was a French statesman and a military leader uh, who rose to prominence in the uh, French Revolution time. And once he was making the rounds as, as a general uh, to the different posts, and he found a soldier asleep at his post. And he said, Soldier, what is your name? And the soldier replied, Well, my name is Napoleon, sir. And Napoleon Bonaparte replied, Well, what did you say your name was? And he responded the second time, Napoleon, sir. He said, Well, then, soldier, my name is Napoleon. And may I suggest that you either change your name or start living up to it. <laughs> and so many times I think this is, a, this is the, t- the thing that we, we kind of see as a theme that, that runs through the, the, the Word of God. We see this idea of walking worthy of God, working worthy of the calling that God has placed on us. And many times there's many places in Scripture where this wording is used. Ephesians 4 1 says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, You must walk in a manner worthy of God. And then later in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.1, it says, You have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So this is somehow a theme that, that flows through the New Testament of us walking worthy or living to please God. This is God's heart for us. And so for us this morning, as we, as we sit here today, I, I often wonder, man, it, what does that look like? How, how do I know if I'm walking worthy? How do I know if, if my life is worthy of the calling that God's placed on me? How, how do I understand what this looks like? What is, how do I know when my life is made worthy or looks worthy enough to be the life that God has saved me for. How do, how do I look like that? And so first, that's, uh, first excuse me, Colossians 1, 9 through 14 gives us not only this phrasing, but it also helps us to see what does this look like fleshed out? What does it look like for us to live and to walk worthy of the gospel? So let's look at this in Colossians 1, uh, verses 9 through 14. I hope we go read along. I, uh, tend to study from the ESV, so some of you I know Pastor Mark preaches from the CSB, so it may look a little bit differently, um, but this is, uh, this is how it reads in the ESV. It says, and so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you can't amen there. I don't know where you can. Um, man, that's, that's a beautiful picture of what this life is supposed to look like for us to walk worthy of the calling that the Lord has placed on us. So let's look at the scripture a little bit and let's break it down a little bit verse by verse. And the first uh, Colossians 1 9 says this, that he prays for us that we may be filled with a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That first word that I want us to look at is that word will. Um, that word will is thelema in, in Greek and uh, it's not so much uh, speaking to God's intentions as it is to God's desire. God does have an intention and a purpose and a plan, a will for us, but that's most of the times used the Greek word prothesis. And this element, in this uh, phrasing of the word, is, is really speaking to God's heart, God's desire. And so what Paul is saying here is he said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of what God wants for you, what God's desire is, what God's what God's heart is uh, for us, and so that we want to know God's will for us. And he wants us to be filled with that, because when we're not filled with his will, then whose will are we filled with? We're filled with our own. And so oftentimes, we get these two at a battle with one another of, of whether or not we're going to live for the will of God, for what God wants, what God desires, what God's heart is for us. Or are we going to live for our wants, our desires, what we want for us? And these things are at odds at times. And so what Paul is saying here is I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He, he says this word knowledge, epinosis, is, is a full and deep understanding. He wants us to know fully and deeply the will that God has for our lives. But um, we, are, we are first to be empty and to empty ourselves so that we can be filled by him. Um, Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, see we have to have our minds transformed, that we, we don't just naturally love the things of God, we have a sin nature in us and, and a desire that, that we're just selfish in nature. Anyone just want to admit here this morning, I, I'm selfish in nature. I, I'll go ahead and say that. You know, we, we all are. Hopefully you all will say, yes, I am selfish. We have a self-centered mindset most often. And so we, we center on what we want, what we like, what we desire. We, we don't want to step out of our comfort zone because that, that means uh, I have to trust in something else outside of myself. And so, so we, we have this thing that we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can know what God's will is. And then we want to be filled. The, the idea is being fully equipped. It's like a ship ready for a voyage. The believer is, 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 has everything that they need for the voyage of life, that, that we are filled with the knowledge of his will. That, that means that we have everything we need. So when we're filled with the knowledge of his will, we're lacking nothing. We don't have to wonder what God wants from us. We don't have to wonder what God is asking us. We don't have to figure, try to figure out what, how we're supposed to live for him. We have everything we need. Now, this is fleshed out in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. Uh, wisdom is a practical know-how to help us apply um, the knowledge that we have to everyday life situations. So we've got to be able to not just have the knowledge, but to know what to do with it as well, to have the wisdom to apply it to everyday life situations. And then the understanding comes, uh, is it, understanding is a clear analysis and uh, decision-making making to help us know what we, are ought, we ought to do with this knowledge. And so we understand this, that the spiritual wisdom and understanding is a spiritual wisdom and a spiritual understanding that comes from the spirit that resides in us. It's not man's wisdom. It's not, it's not the world's wisdom. It's, it's God's wisdom that he helps us to understand the knowledge that we have of his will, how we're supposed to apply it, how we're supposed to live it out, what this looks like in my day-to-day, everyday life. How do I live out the word of God? It's not just enough to know it. I've got to live it. And so God helps us with this. He, he helps us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So as to, verses 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So when we're filled with a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we're then now able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the only way that we can be fully pleasing to him is when we're walking out and walking in this will that he has for us. So walking out, we, always, we also see in, in Hebrews 11 that, that, that we, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so this walking out is a, is a faith step of us living out and, and applying the will of God to our lives. And so this is how we walk worthy and please God is by walking in a manner worthy of him when we live out this this will that he has for us when he when his will is our will pleasing him pleases us when we walk in his will when his will is our will pleasing him is pleasing us <clears throat> Tim Keller once stated if you're indifferent to somebody then their happiness is at the expense of your happiness But if you're in love with somebody, then their happiness is your happiness. See, when we're walking in step with the Lord, walking worthily of the Lord, then the things that God wants is the things that we want. I want God to be glorified. I want God to be honored. I want God to be exalted in my life. So if I didn't, then then I'm living for my will. I'm living for me to get exalted, me to to have the attention. But no, that's not what I want when I'm walking full of a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, I can walk worthy in him because we're in step because his will is my will and what pleases him is what pleases me because I want God to be pleased in my life. And that's what this looks like for us to, to put this into practice. And then he says then what this looks like, and then, then he helps us to understand what this worthy life looks like. He gives us uh, four or five things here that, that we can understand. It says in, in the next verse, bearing fruit in every good work. Well, what is fruit? What does it mean to bear fruit? Am I, am I just, if I, do I just become an apple tree and just apple and just, no, that's not what he's talking about here. He says fruit, fruit is, a, is used throughout the New Testament, and it's a word that is to describe a thought, attitude, or action of ours that is produced by God in us or through us that brings God glory. God desires to get glory from our lives. That God desires us to put on display how amazing and great and awesome and powerful he is. And so we have him working in and through us. God, as we see in John 15, that he has appointed us 
to go and bear fruit. As he abides in us, he works through us, through our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, um, everything that we say and do. He works in and through those. And so he wants to just put on display his amazing grace and how awesome and powerful he is. And so there's inner fruit that we see in Galatians 5, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have the inner fruit, the, the attitudes, the, the ways that we respond in certain situations that, that we're, we're just, we don't have it within us to have those things, you know, to have love and to have patience. Who, who has patience naturally? That doesn't come natural. We got to have the spirit in us bearing those things out so that when we do actually have those moments where we do exhibit a little patience, we're going, where did that come from? That wasn't for me. We understand it's coming from the spirit that's living in us, but we also have outer fruit, those things that we do, those actions that we take, the, the kindnesses that we display for other people, the smiles we put on our faces as we come into a contact with people that, that just need to know the love of Jesus, the things that we do on the exterior, the, the ways that we share the gospel and, and make disciples and, and tell others about Jesus, the ways that we display those other fruit on the outside that bring God glory. So we've got to bear fruit in every good work. So that doesn't mean we have to do all the work that we, we got to just, but what it's saying is we got to bear fruit in all the good works that we have. So God has some works that he has laid out for each and every one of us. And so in those works, what he wants us to see is not just how we can handle ourselves in those situations. No, he says, I want to bear that fruit through you. I want to empower you to to do those good works that I've laid out for you. And so it's us saying, you know what, as I know what your will is, and I use the spiritual wisdom and understanding, it's you working through me to bear fruit in this world and in this life. And so we've got to be filled with the knowledge of his will to discern what those works are and how we need to obey. And when you look at your life right now, is there, is there fruit being born out of your life? Is there fruit bearing in your life? If we're not bearing fruit, then we need to repent of how our lives have veered away from his will and pray and begin praying and say, God, may I begin again being filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so I can walk in a worthy manner, fully pleasing you as I bear fruit. But then he goes on to say this. Here's another thing that he says that, that when we're walking worthy, we are increasing in the knowledge of God. We increase in the knowledge of God. Here's the beautiful thing about God. We can never stop learning him. <laughs> There's no end to our learning of who God is and what his will is for us. He is infinite. We can never outlearn God. We can never know all there is to know about who God is. So we can keep increasing day after day after day, knowing more and more about who this God is and who he is in us. Man, my encouragement to you is, man, are you growing in your walk with the Lord? Do you know about him, more about him today than you did a year ago, a week ago, since yesterday? Do you know, are you having fresh encounters? Are you increasing in your knowledge of God? Nothing runs more contrary to the will of God than for us to ignore him because our minds have grown lazy and our hearts have just settled in for drive-through happy meals rather than full course dinners at his table. So we've got to come to him and say, God, help me to know you. God, I want to know you more. God, I want to learn about you. I want to know everything there is to know you, to have an intimate knowledge of who he is, not just knowledge about him, but knowledge of 
who he is. You see, there, there's, uh, there's always a debate of, of who the greatest basketball player is. Is it LeBron? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Magic Johnson? Who, who's the, I could tell you a whole lot about these guys and their facts and, and their heights and their, where they went to college and their stat lines. And, and did you see the game that they, I mean, I can give you, I know a lot about these guys, but I don't know them. If I, I called them up, they'd be like, who are you? I mean, I don't even have their number. I couldn't call them up in the first place. I don't know them, but I know about them. See, if the only knowledge we have of Jesus is just when we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and at different times, and we know about him, we hear about him, but we don't have this intimate knowledge of who he is on a personal basis, that I can just sit with him and enjoy his presence, then we're going to miss out on all God wants. We need to increase in the knowledge of God. And if we're not increasing, then we got to begin praying, God, help me, fill me with a knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you. But then he goes on in verse 11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, why does he strengthen us? He goes on to say, for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if patience with joy really fits together. I don't know anybody who's just, man, I just love being patient. I mean, that's just so much fun for me. Um, but, but the reason why we need to be strengthened with all his might, according to his glorious might, is so that we can have patience with joy. You know why we are strengthened when we have to endure? And times get tough. Life gets hard. God knows that sometimes his will for our lives is not going to be easy. He's going to have to take us through the fires at times. But when we trust in him, when we depend on him, when we know his will, and we're living according to him and living in his might and his power, then we have everything it takes to endure. And we can wait patiently in the fiery furnaces to say, God, I, I trust you and I know. So I have joy. That whatever's going to happen in and through this situation is going to be because you're going to take me through it. God, I trust you. I have faith in you. See, <clears throat> Pastor uh, John Piper, he said this, Patience is the evidence of an inner strength. Therefore, impatient people are weak. That's the painful connection that we can draw from this text. See, walking worthy calls for endurance because life will not go as we plan. But it will always unfold as the king has planned. So we can be patient knowing that he will strengthen us. So if you're in that place in life right now where you're just having a hard time enduring, just struggling through, just having a hard time with patience, just, just not being willing to wait on the Lord, then this morning we can come to him and say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm being impatient. I'm not depending upon your strength. I'm trying to figure out how I can make it through this life in my own strength. And so, God, I need to pray right now. God, fill me with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that I can walk in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every way. See, God's pleased when we endure, when we have patience and joy because we're depending on his strength and not our own. But then he goes on to say this in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. Hallelujah. He has delivered us. He has qualified us. What does that mean? He, he has taken us and he has said, you know what? Even though you aren't worthy, even though you are sinful, you, there's not a moment in your life that you have ever sought after me. There's not good in you at all. If you look to Romans 3, there's not one of us that have any good in us at all. But God said, you know what? Despite your unworthiness, I'm going to qualify you for the inheritance of the saints. That I'm going to take you out of darkness and put you into the light that we can have the forgiveness of sins. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We're not pretty good. We're not just kind of okay. God loves us more than he loves others. And so we're, you know, God, that, that's not God's heart. He has qualified us. If we are in Christ this morning, there was nothing you did to earn that or deserve it. And there's at the, on the same flip side of that, there's nothing you could do to have that taken away from you. God loves us. And for that, we ought to be the most thankful, grateful people. That's why we live this way. That's why we surrender to his will, because of all that he has done for us. J.I. Packer has a quote that was just mind-blowing for me and just freeing for me earlier this year in his book, Knowing God. And this is what he says. What matters supremely is not that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. There is no moment when his eyes is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. And this is where it hit me this week. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly, utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. See, God already knows the worst about you. Not just the worst about your past. He knows the worst about your future. And he knows you. He knows the secrets. He knows the things that we hide. He knows us in and out and thoroughly. He knows our past, our present, our future. He knows us. And yet he says, I'm going to qualify you in the inheritance of the saints. And I'm going to take you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. And I'm going to redeem you from your sins. He knows the worst about us, and he still chooses to love us. So we ought to be the most grateful, thankful people and if we're not, and if we're not living grateful lives, then we need to begin praying. Say, God, fill me with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that I might walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you. 
So how do we put this into practice? How do we begin living like this? How do we begin allowing our life to be lived out worthy of God? And, and, And if we're not living worthy, what do we do about that? And so I just got a couple of points And we're going to close uh, this morning. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to slow to know. We've got to slow to know. We've got to slow down enough so that we can know as we will. Because so often, many of us, we're not intentionally trying to miss his will. We're not intentionally trying to ignore the Lord or ignore what his desire is for us. But we're just so busy. We're just so hectic. We just got so much going on in our lives. We just have so many things going through our heads and so many things pulling us. So many things just just pulling us from. And, and we just feel like this this tightrope in life. And we just we just miss out. We just put God to the back burner unintentionally at times. But just we, we've we've never stopped to listen. We've got to slow to know because. Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. This is the Lord's great invitation to intimacy, to be alone with him and to enjoy the pleasure of his company over a meal. But I wonder with all the hustle and bustle of life, do we hear his knocking? Do we hear his invitation? Do we, do we listen and respond to the invitation to come and just be with him. So four simple things that we need to do to slow down. I learned these from a, a book called Intimacy with the Almighty. I heard these a while back, and, and uh, it was from Chuck Swindoll, and he, he uh, just kind of said, you know, there's four disciplines we need to put in our lives to, the way we can grow in the Lord. And I just, I was already, you know, preaching this message in my head, and just kind of said, oh, yeah, we got to read the Bible, we got to pray, we got to, and I was kind of going through all these disciplines we need to put in our lives. And he says, no, these are the four things you need. And the first one was this, simplicity. I was like, oh, wasn't expecting that one. But for most of us, life is anything but simple, isn't it? We say yes to too many things. We don't leave time for rest and leisure. We, we have too much on our plate. There's too much cluttering our lives to room, leave room for devotion to, with Christ. I don't know about you, but probably many of us in here have kind of had those moments where we've said, man, I really would love to spend more time with the Lord, but I just don't have time. See, we're too busy. Life is too complex, and we need to simplify. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, simplicity then is this. It's getting life focused on what really matters and shedding those things that distract us from them. So we've got to get single-minded to say, what is the thing, what is the one thing that is going to be most important to me? And if anything is distracting me from it or taking me away from it, then I've got to shed those things. I've got to get rid of those things so I can put whatever I want to be primary in its first spot. That's what Jesus said. The the first and great commandment, the protos commandment was the, the priority. That's what we get our word priority from is protos. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To that we could love God. We could seek First, his kingdom. Man, if there's things that are keeping us from spending time with Jesus, then we've got to shed those things. We've got to figure out how to make the main thing the main thing. Are too many good things keeping you from being at your best? Are too many things leaving you drained and exhausted? Are there too many things that are keeping you from the things that you really want to get to? Then we might just have too many things, and we need to say no to the things that aren't 
the main thing. What is it you need to shed? The second thing is this, solitude. Mark 135 says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. How often do we get alone with the Lord? It, it, in this day and age, and with kids, and uh, it, it's kind of hard to be alone at times. You know, you can even go to lock yourself in the closet, and the kids will still barge into there. I mean, it's just, it's hard to be alone. You know, and then when we actually have a time alone, then we have our phones. We have other things, other things distracting us and keeping us preoccupied and not able to focus on what we need to focus on. Anne Morrow Lindbergh, I said this in her book, we seem so frightened today of being alone that we will never let it happen. Even if family, friends, and movies should fail, there are still phones and binge-watching to fill the void. We continue to choke out the empty space with continuous music, chatter, and companionship, many times even to which we do not even listen. It's just there to fill the vacuum. And when the noise stops, there's no inner music to take its place. We must relearn to be alone. Solitude helps us to rest and to regroup. It helps us to discover our own thoughts and to clarify what we value. It helps us to gain perspective and to, to reinforce our focus on the main things and to become more attentive to God. We've got to carve out space in our lives where we can just be alone and be with Him. And the partner with solitude comes in with a third S, and that is silence. That just to be silent, to, to have everything come to a stillness for a moment. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Why? He restores my soul. See, silence helps us make room for listening. See, too often we're, we're the ones doing the talking, and we're not doing a lot of listening. We need to listen to the Lord. It allows us time to think. allows us a space to feel. It opens us up to know our limitedness and God's vastness. When our mouths are closed and our minds are quiet, we can finally begin to grasp God's greatness. So we've got to have time where we just carve out to be alone and to be silent. Silence and solitude work together. To, amount, to allow us moments of sanity in the midst of the craziness of life. And both are essential in gaining depth in our walk and discovery of who God is and what His will is for our lives. See, if we don't slow to know, we'll never hear God's will. We'll never be filled with a knowledge of His will. How can we carry living water to others when we don't first stop at the well ourselves to refresh our souls? We've got to come and just drink deep from the waters of, of what God has to offer us in those moments of silence and solitude and simplicity. And then the fourth one is surrender. Surrendering simply means to give up and to let go. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Running with endurance is dependent on our casting off unnecessary weight. He doesn't say run with perseverance and then start throwing, casting everything off. We, we've got to get rid of the things that are holding us back and slowing us down. Those are things that, that are uh, things that easily entangle us. Those things that maybe they're, they're not even sinful things because he says the things that entangle us and the sin. And so, therefore, there, there may be some things in our lives that are just entangling us and keeping us that may or may not be sin. And so we've got to realize and to see what is it that we need to let go of? What is it that we need to cast off and to get rid of? 
There's four areas of surrender, I think, that we, we need to, to look at is our possessions. Is there anything occupying more of our time, attention, and devotion than Christ does? I love this, this prayer from uh, A.W. Tozer. He says, Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a, vi- a very part of my living self, so that thou may enter and dwell without a rival. Is there a rival in your heart for your time, for your time, your energy, your attention, your affections? Is there things that are rivaling God? And we've got to get rid of those things and surrender those things so that God has no rival in our hearts. But then we've got to look at our positions. Many times our, our jobs and, and our accolades can be a place of security for us. So we, we begin looking for titles and accomplishments and recognitions for the strokes that so often we need and the encouragement we need from the Lord. We begin to look for the strokes instead of the Savior. We've got to surrender our plans. Asking Him to bless our plans isn't the way to God's will. Surrendering our plans. We must surrender our plans and discover His plans and watch Him bring them to completion in us. Man, are are we holding on and just holding on to what we want and what we desire and what we think our lives should look like instead of saying, God, I surrender it all. I give it all to you, and you have a will, and you have a plan. You have a desire for my life, and so, God, I'm surrendering it all to you and trust in you, and trust in your plan, and watch you live it out in me. And then people, we must never allow other relationships to hold a place that was only meant for him. Do we run to family and friends for advice and wisdom instead of running to the Savior, running to the one who knows all and has the answers? Do we allow place, people the place that only Jesus belongs? And so if we're going to... Uh, Slow to know that we've got to practice the four S's so that we can slow down to hear his will and be filled with his will of simplicity, solitude, silence, and surrender. And then when we begin to do that, we can begin filled, being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we can, number two, walk worthy. Because when we're filled with the knowledge of his will, worthy walking will just come naturally out of us because we desire to see His will lived out of us. And so the things that we can begin doing is just aiming to please Him. Live to please the Lord. Live to please Him. Say, Jesus, is, is my life pleasing you or is it pleasing me? God, is this decision right now, is it pleasing me or is it pleasing you? God, am I living to please you and you alone? And if we're not, let's surrender those things. Let, let's say, Jesus, I want you to be pleased in my life. Change our focus. And then begin bearing fruit, bearing the fruit that God has for you, living out and, and allowing God to use you and empower you to live and, and, and to bear the fruit that he has for you in your life, bearing fruit in all and every good work that we begin looking for ways. Our eyes are open because we're living for his will. We're f- filled with the knowledge of his will. So we're looking in our day-to-day life, in our, in our neighbors, in, in, our, in our workplaces, in our homes. God, is there a fruit that I need to bear right now? Is there, is there a good work that you want me to do right now? Is there something that, that you're desiring to do in and through me? We can grow in the knowledge of God. Is, is your mind growing in him? Are you knowing more about him? As you're filled with the knowledge of, your, of his will, you just keep saying, God, God, teach me more. I want to know you, God. I want to spend time with you. I want to just know you in a deeper and more intimate way. I got I I to get away and spend some time just with you and you alone that I can hear your voice. We've got to grow in that knowledge. God, show me something new about you. But then we can begin being strengthened by his power 
in all his might for his glory. Because when we're living for his will and we're filled with the knowledge of his will, we're li- here's what we got to understand. When it's his will, he's going to empower it. He's going to give us the power to accomplish what it is he's calling us to. See, when we're trying to figure out our wills and say, God, would you just come over here and bless my will? Would you just come over here and bless what I'm trying to do for you? He's like, no, that's not my will. That's your will. My will is over here. And if you want me to empower, if you want to see me do some amazing things to you, come, come over here and start living in my will and see what I can do. See, I think for the Christian, this is where we fall short because this is where it takes faith. This is that Indiana Jones moment where you're stepping out and you're like, I don't see a bridge, but I got to... I gotta step on one in, in chapter three. I know that's an old, old movie. But here's the point of that it takes faith. Are you only living in the power of what you know you can accomplish? Or are we living in His power? Are we trusting Him to say, God, if you don't show up right now, it's gonna be lost? That was my prayer right before I got up here on this stage. I was like, God, I, I don't have a good thing to say. One, up here on the stage, God, if you don't show up, it's going to be a worthless time. God, it's got to be you. Are we doing things in his power, in his strength? Here's the thing we can do. We can trust. Mark it down. Put it in ink. This is not, not pencil writing. If God is calling us to it, he's going to empower us to do it. Trust in his power. And the last thing is be thankful. Is your heart full of joyful gratitude because he has qualified you for all this? See, God has qualified you. God has called you out and empowered you. He has taken you from all your worthless things and said, I'm going to take you out of darkness and put you in a light. And I'm going to empower you to live for me. So here's where we sell God short. We're not living worthy. But see, here's what I want you guys to understand here. So walking worthy, and this is the close, would mean that we live in a way that shows how worthy and able God's gracious grace and strength is. Working worthy is not the Lord saying, here's the standard, now live up to it. He's not saying, try harder, do better, get Get more discipline. Those things we need to do, don't get me wrong. But that's not God saying, live up to my name. He's saying, I've already done it. I've qualified you. I have taken you out of darkness and put you in a light. I have empowered you. My, my spirit is living in you. You have everything you need to live worthy of me. So live out of it. Don't live up to it. Live out of it. You have the Spirit in you. So if we're not living worthy, we've got to. He has qualified you through His grace. He's empowered you through His Spirit. He's enabled you to know Him through His Word. He's called you and empowered you to bear fruit. So what He's saying is live as though He has. Let's pray. God.